An honorable profession is brought to you by Tech for America, an organization dedicated to providing a platform to solve America's toughest public challenges. For more information, visit t4a.org. That's t, the number four, a.org. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal podcast that features rising state and local leaders. They share their personal stories, how and why they decide to run for office, and what they do to serve their communities once they've been elected. They also describe what it's like to restore sanity to politics in an insane era. Today, we're talking with Tobias Reed. He's the treasurer for the great state of Oregon. I'm excited to talk to Tobias, not just because he's a great guy, but also because he's a business guy. He used to work for Nike, and now he's using those skills to manage more than $100 billion for the state in a way that increases retirement security, college access, and protection for the environment. I think progressives often fail to leverage the investment and purchasing power of government to move their agenda forward. Tobias is a national leader in showing us how to do just that. Like all our guests, Tobias and I are members of the New Deal. It's an organization that brings together more than 150 of the best and brightest elected officials. We'll be holding our annual conference in Washington, D.C. from November 28th to the 30th. Check out newdealleaders.org for more info on New Deal and the conference. And as always, if you like these conversations, please tell a friend about an honorable profession and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now, let's talk billions with Tobias. Welcome, Tobias. Thank you. Let's start first by... uh, I think treasuring, being a treasurer is much cooler than it used to be after Alexander Hamilton. Uh, but why don't you tell folks what a treasurer is and why they should care? Well, the first thing I often uh, say when people um, ask about this is, is to uh, explain that there are uh, a couple of misconceptions. People seem to get nervous when I'm introduced as state treasurer. I, I think it's because they, they think I'm about to uh, try to collect taxes. Um, or they, they seem really happy because uh, I think they, they expect that I have a large checkbook and, and samples to share, uh, neither of which are true. Uh, in fact, what we do is really try to keep public money safe um, and working before it's needed to pay for things that we all rely on, uh, teachers and state police officers and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, we're also in charge of the state's debt. We, we finance um, all the, the infrastructure through the, through the state's bonds that, um, that we rely on, uh, school buildings and pipes and roads and those sorts of things. And we get to interact with people in their, their daily lives with the financial empowerment programs that we run to help people save for, uh, for their retirement and for future education, as well as uh, disability-related costs. So it's a, it's a really great job, um, an opportunity to bring our, our values and our aspirations to our, our financial lives. I mean, fiscal responsibility is universal. Everyone wants that 
in in any institution. Talk about some of these these elements of how you improve people's lives on a day to day basis. And if you're sort of a, a liberal Democrat, why I should really care about who my treasurer is? Sure. Well, a couple of things in terms of um, the direct financial empowerment programs we run. There there are three specific ones. Uh, probably the best known is the college savings program. Many states have them, uh, and Oregon is no different. Uh, but we're we're trying to make sure that that people have access to ways to to save for education beyond. Uh, retirement. Sometimes these are called 529 programs. I don't really like that because few people know what 529 means. I don't even like the term college savings program because it suggests that it's only for college, and and that's not true. While it certainly is uh, appropriate for four-year institutions, what we know is that almost any kind of path to prosperity is going to require some kind of training beyond high school. And these programs are uh, are applicable for, for anything that's eligible for federal financial aid. So culinary school, diesel mechanic school, anything where you could take federal financial aid, this is going to help. And there's really powerful uh, evidence about how much of an impact that can have. A kid who has an account um, in her name is three times as likely to go to college, four times as likely to graduate from college, regardless of how much money is in that account. So just the notion of expectation, the investment that, that someone is making. And we've got some real opportunities, too, because in Oregon, a, a population of about 4 million, um, there are 184,000 accounts, but they skew really heavily to um, affluent white folks in the metro area. So we're doing some really exciting work about how we can um, reframe and, and, and refine the, the incentives that are part of our program to make sure that they reach every corner geographically and demographically in Oregon and give everybody the chance um, to get on a path to, to some kind of education past high school. And tell me about the other end of life, which is the retirement. And we all know that people are running up to retirement and then realizing they don't haven't saved enough. What can a state treasurer do to, to help people in that part of their lives? It's, it's a shocking and scary thing to think that um, there are 68 million people in the country who don't have access to a way to save for retirement at work. In Oregon, that's about a million people who are working and have no, no opportunity to save. Uh, we've all got a stake in this because when people approach retirement without sufficient assets, they either have to work longer or retire into poverty and rely on the state budget uh, for, for help. So even if, if you're a conservative person whose only interest is in uh, smaller government, you should like the idea of more people being able to save their own money. So we are the first state to operate an opt-out IRA for people who don't have access uh, at, at work. And it's a pretty simple concept. People generally are familiar with the idea of an IRA. We've said to employers, if you don't offer a retirement plan, your obligation is to facilitate. In other words, tell your employees, unless you say otherwise, we're going to send 5% of your wages to your IRA. The employee retains the ability to opt out or to change that amount, uh, but we're trying to make things really easy and simple and, and turn the forces of, of inertia and apathy that are generally uh, our opponents when it comes to, to long-run thinking into, into allies. 
So uh, at this point, we've, we've rolled it out to the, um, the larger employers in Oregon, and, and we're working our way down that, that slope. Uh, we have close to 20,000 uh, active IRAs uh, just in, essentially in, in this year that have started. People who are generally on the lower end of the income spectrum are saving on average about $100 a month. And, and recently, we passed the $5 million mark of accumulations in these, in these accounts. But the most powerful piece of that experience is to hear people talk about the effect it has on them. Um, these are people who have, by their own description, just been struggling to get by, who are now saying things like, I can, I can see a path to the future. I feel like I'm getting ahead. And the notion of, of equipping people for an ever more volatile economy, this is their, their account. It follows them. It's their money. Um, the ability to, to unlock that potential that might exist um, in their entrepreneurial minds um, is, is really powerful. We're, we're excited to be the first state to do this, but it's also really uh, worth noting that, that Illinois and, and, and California are, are not far behind us in, in implementing similar programs. And it's, you know, this is based on the idea of the nudge, right, that yes. won the Nobel Prize, which is That's by right. opting in, most people go with it. That's right. What percentage of people in Oregon stay stay in the plan? At this point, our opt-out rate is only about 25%, and that's right in line with our um, with our forecasts. And, and you're right. It goes back to, uh, to Richard Thaler, um, one of my <laughs> uh, happy moments when we were passing this legislation. It's a nice continuity. I got to pass it as a legislator and then get to implement it as, as treasurer. Um, I, I mentioned Thaler to a newspaper reporter who was covering this bill and, and he went to Thaler and, and talked to him about it, and Thaler sort of compared the uh, slightly different versions that that Oregon and Washington were considering. And the quote that's you know still in my uh, mind's uh, bulletin board was, "The Oregon approach is clearly superior." Uh, Always Richard good Thaler. from a Nobel Prize winner, yes, uh, yes, economist. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so talk to me a little bit about your path because uh, you mentioned you were in the state legislature. You have an MBA, and you were working for Nike, mm-hmm. uh, which is not a, the traditional path for elected officials. So tell me what drew you to government, uh, why you stay in government. I feel like it's a really good combination, and I feel like I draw on those experiences on a, on a pretty regular basis. Um, I was lucky to, to be raised by parents who made it really clear that, that I had an obligation to public service in some form because I had benefited from people who invested in me. Uh, and they were not specific about what that meant, but uh, reinforced regularly that I had to figure out some way to be of, of service. And so uh, I, I worked on some campaigns, found that I liked that and liked public service. Um, and I had the chance um, after um, after college to work in the U.S. Treasury in the in the Clinton administration. I did the briefing books for the for the U.S. Treasury Secretary, which was a great experience for a young person. As I learned little bits about lots of different things, and for me, it confirmed my interest in better understanding how business and government related. So that's what led me to uh, to business school. And everything is sort of a, a funnel. Then um, I, I learned that, uh, or it became even more convinced that I wanted to work in the private sector, where I could be at a place that had a, a real responsibility to a, a commitment to corporate responsibility. And uh, it worked out really well that that, that was Nike. Uh, and then then pads sort of converged again. And um, I think it's really important for people to get comfortable with the idea of taking some intelligent risks early in a career. And uh, I, you know, I had to take my own advice and, and do that in running for the legislature. Um, 2006, won the first race by 86 votes. And I felt like the legislature was actually a lot like college. Committees are like classes. you got to figure out your legislative major. 
Uh, also like the market in that you can improve your chances of success if you do something where you have some competitive advantage and where not everyone else is. Um, so I ended up working a lot on uh, on finance and revenue, infrastructure, uh, economic development sorts of things, and that coincided pretty well with what the, the treasurer's responsibilities are. So I was working with, with treasurers, and uh, when the, the seat was open, it, it felt like a good fit, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, tell me about that first run. I mean, when you're, you're sort of come back to Oregon, you're wanting to get involved. How, do you, how did you decide to run, and what was it like? Uh, there's, there's nothing more um, immediate for feedback than knocking on a door and presenting yourself as a candidate. And it's a very different experience. I'd done plenty of that on behalf of others, um, so I shouldn't have been nervous. But I'll never forget. I know exactly which house it was uh, still in my head. Uh, I could take you to it in our district right now that I knocked on for the first time as a candidate myself. And it's a totally different experience. But, um, but again, I think there's, there's nothing more important than figuring out what you really stand for and, and being willing to, to step out for it. Um, I knocked on 12,000 doors myself in that, in that first race, uh, I, and that took a year. Um, it was you know, multiple hours every weekday and every weekend day, uh, and there's, there's nothing um, more effective and probably nothing less efficient uh, in doing that. But it, it can become fun by getting the, the real connection with people and, and learning what they, what they care about, what they're motivated by, what they're anxious about, what what makes them proud of their neighborhood and what they aspire to. Um, you can't ever replicate that. And running for state treasurer, I, I missed that in some respects. Did it did it change your your approach to policy, hearing from people at their doorstep? I don't know that it changed it, but it reaffirmed it. Um, it's I think every I, I think one of the great challenges of of anyone who cares about these things and and who's involved as a as a candidate or a staffer or anywhere else is is how to create those connections with people. For every every sort of short memory thing that people confront in these days, people have long memories for uh, someone showing up at their door. And, and I will confess, there were some times when someone was about to close the door, I might get a little snarky and say, do, do a lot of your elected officials show up at your door asking for your opinion? Probably not my best moment. Sometimes the door <laughs> would stop and it opened up again and we could have a, another conversation. But um, that's a that's a way to, to build and, and then follow up to cultivate those relationships. And people, people remember that. People will be uh, tolerant of, of your differing conclusion if they know you, if they've seen you in their, in their driveway or on their doorstep. They know you as a person. It's a lot harder for, for people to, uh, to characterize you in, in some, uh, some less, less helpful way. Uh, absolutely. Now, talk about, you, you mentioned that you were in the legislature, and, and, it, and it's very different than your current role, which is a statewide executive. Um, I think people tend to lump all politicians together, uh, but they're really different institutions, different skill sets. Talk about the difference a little bit that you've seen between the legislature and, and being an executive. Well, in Oregon, the legislature is a, is a part-time job. And uh, I had the good fortune of coming in when the legislature was, was making a fairly large leap in, in professionalizing. So I was, I was among the first crew who got to have a full-time staffer. Shocking, right? Um, 
previous legislators would have like a half-time person. They have to answer their own phones all the time and do everything themselves. And not that I'm above doing that, but there's there's a lot, and it's hard to do when you also have other responsibilities and so on. So, um, so that was a, I'm aware of the fact that it was a big uh, leap forward, but it pales in comparison to the to being a treasurer when when we have a team, we have a, a team of professionals, and, and our capacity is just so much so much bigger. And the other lesson, I suppose, is that you don't always need a, a bill to accomplish something. I, I tried three different times in the legislature to pass a bill that would require the, um, the health authority to, to share the names and addresses of new parents with our college savings plan periodically so we can say, congratulations on your new baby. Here's how you can save for their education. And for a variety of reasons, it got held up and killed in the legislature. And, get to, to the treasurer's office, call the health authority and say, hey, could we have those names and addresses to do that? Well, we'll sign whatever agreement needs some confidentiality and all that. And the, the reaction was, yeah, you can do that. So there's a difference between the <laughs> <laughs> legislative and the executive. Yeah, I mean, I remember in Oregon, the first day of the legislature, like thousands of bills are dropped, right? Yes. And you're part-time legislature and you're supposed to make your way through thousands of potential pieces of legislation. Yes. Over a small few month period. Right. Feeling definitely at a disadvantage relative to the executive and certainly to the to the lobbyists. So tell me uh, a little bit about what an average day is like for a treasurer. I mean, if, if I'm... Of course, the, the is it all rap cliche answer like, is like Hamilton. <laughs> Actually, there is a there is a rap uh, story. Um, that's not a typical day, but but you brought up rap, which is fun. So, uh, during the campaign, I, I went to the uh, convention of the, the teachers union, and I got there the night before I was slated to speak. And I was sitting in the back of the room listening to the federal candidates uh, give their presentations. And I noticed that as they walked up to the stage, there was different music being played. Oh, this is, they're very into this. They're personalized music. So I looked around and figured out where this was coming from. And I walked over and introduced myself and figured out who was playing the music. It was a, uh, an AV music teacher, somebody. And I said, so you're, you're picking music for each candidate? He said, yeah. I said, well, so what do you, what do you have planned for me? Uh, it's the only time I think I have been associated with the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, <laughs> so they did play Cream, Cash Rules Everything Around Me for my, my walk-up music. Nice. Yeah, so that was not a typical day, however. Um, I think the, 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 the cliche, fun, and true answer is that there is no typical day. Our investment division is all in, in Tiger, a suburb of, of Portland, and the rest of our team is in Salem. So in an ideal week, um, I spend time in, in both places and, and interact with people. Um, we spend a lot of time thinking about our, our portfolio, which we invest $100 billion on behalf of, uh, of other local governments and beneficiaries in the state. Uh, so we spend a lot of time preparing for those, um, those kinds of questions, making sure that our investment team has the resources that they need. Uh, it, it, I'm also a member of a, of a number of different boards. The, the oldest board in Oregon is the, um, the land board, which is the governor, the secretary of state, and the treasurer. Um, so we, we meet on a regular basis to, uh, to administer trust lands um, and navigable waterways of the, of the state. The notion of trying to get the message about savings, whether it's for retirement or uh, college, or the other piece we didn't talk about was um, Oregon ABLE. Uh, it's the counterpart to college savings for people who are um, saving for the costs of disabilities. Um, that's a new program, so we're trying to get that message out to people and um, make sure that the tools are available to that team as well. It's, it's quite varied, and as a result, uh, very interesting. And 
you have a family and you've been in you've been and when you were in the legislature you had a job two jobs uh and a family how do you find a way to balance it how interested are your kids in in what you do what's that like uh if i if i figure out the perfect way to balance it i'll let you know and i hope you'll do the same um uh, it helps a lot to be married to a saint uh which i am and our kids are becoming increasingly interested in it. Our daughter will be nine in a few months, and our son is five. Uh, perhaps the most interested they were, um, we had a fun uh, experience last summer when uh, Heidi and I were not completely convinced that we needed to make the trek to Salem to be in totality for the eclipse. When we finally got around to it, um, it was it was sort of late. We probably could have imposed ourselves on some friends in Salem, but instead... It said this is going to be a you know, one-time opportunity, so we um, we took our air mattresses and had a slumber party in the office in the Capitol, uh, which has subsequently been been made quite a bit smaller by uh, by some remodeling in the Capitol. But um, they remember that, and and I'm I'm glad that that they'll have that memory of the eclipse and associate it with the with the state treasury. I feel like uh, as a child of an elected official, yes. you end up internalizing all these lessons that you. Don't appreciate the time. Oh, that's good to but hear. But years later, okay. you, find, come you back. find you appreciate it. That's yeah. good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. So wrapping it up, I, I like to ask, what was one of your best days in politics? Like, What, what makes all those knocking on doors worthwhile? So I, I have a list of, of bills that I w- was most uh, excited and policies to, to be associated with. Uh, and I'm I'm hesitating because there's there's two that probably are appropriate here. I talked about uh, Oregon Saves already, uh, so that one you, you already know about. Um, I might tell two quick stories. There's there's a defeating a, a villain story, and the, and there's a, a a good outcome story. So I'll tell a defeating a villain one first. Um, there's a concept in in law, and I'm not a lawyer, that I, so I learned about this as a result of this experience called sea prey, and Oregon was one of only two states where uh, the what's known as the tortfeasor in a class action, the, the company that wronged you, the company that overcharged you or defrauded you, would get to keep the money if you didn't claim it. So if you probably got those postcards that say you're entitled to $3.18 if you fill out this form. And if you're like most people, you say that it's not worth it and you recycle it or lose it or forget about it. And in Oregon, it used to be that the company would keep that money. Terrible, evil. I mean, I've spent a lot of time on these policies, and most of the time I can come up with a rational argument on the other side. This one is like, they just want the money. So we introduced a bill that would say, no, you don't get to keep the money. What we didn't know at that time was that um, the Multnomah County jury uh, had entered a verdict against uh, British Petroleum, uh, a class of 1.9 million people who the jury determined were each entitled to $200. So suddenly, $580 million is at stake in our little bill that just says, no, they don't get to keep it. So initially, this bill uh, made it all the way through the House, made it all the way to the Senate, and died 15-15 in the Senate. Uh, Very disappointing. Uh, A lot of work to get to that point. Um, And and we lost. Time passed. We went out the next election. Democrats picked up a couple of seats in the in the Senate, and we got to do it all over again, and it passed. And the cool part of of it is where this money goes. So the the, the sea prey concept is um, French for next best. 
So if you can't find the people who are entitled to it, what's the next best purpose? And the way we ended up solving that question was that a judge could award up to 50% of those unclaimed proceeds to, uh, to a philanthropy that's related to the case, or at 50 to 100% go to an endowment for legal aid. So hearing the stories of what legal aid does, um, helping save evictions, helping restraining orders for abused spouses, um, that, that's a pretty great day when I think about at least $35 million from that one case going into legal Just aid. Just from endowment. one case. Yes, wow. yes, yes. On the other hand, uh, the other one that was also really powerful and, and fun was uh, getting to carry the bill that made uh, full-day kindergarten the norm in Oregon. Um, it was so reminiscent, the debate of, of the same uh, debate that had happened 30 years ago about whether having half-day kindergarten was going to happen. And... We made it. Uh, we made it possible. Now I look at the at the kids who show up every every fall for a full day kindergarten class and think I had the, a little tiny bit to do with that. It was it's pretty fantastic. great. So those are two great ones. And for everyone out there who's just feeling down, like that the, they're watching their country be torn apart, they're watching sort of fundamental values um, be destroyed. Uh, what what keeps you optimistic enough? Because you could be making a lot more money in the private sector. What keeps you optimistic enough that makes you show up every day that our system is is that we can make a difference in people's lives? Well, it's those stories. Uh, for every uh, every bit that uh, uh, you can be depressed or demoralized about, remind ourselves that that history is long. That it doesn't, as as President Obama said, doesn't move in straight lines. Um, and those individual stories, the, to hear the, the uh, I'm running in my head, the, the um, clip of this uh, chairlift operator at a, at a nonprofit um, ski area in Southern Oregon talking about how stoked he was to have a way to save for retirement. Uh, to think about the kid who's going to be on a path uh, to, to be reading by third grade and therefore not dropping out of high school because she got full day kindergarten. Um, to think about the fact that there's going to be somebody who needs a lawyer who's going to get one legal aid because there's some money there um, as a result of our, our little little effort. Um, there's uh, our, our my state senator talks about this this life as as a series of uh, lonely roads and busy intersections, uh, and they kind of alternate. And so you have to plod along and 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 uh, keep keep putting one foot in front of the other and then periodically an opportunity uh, presents itself to make a to make a big difference. And I should say the other part that we didn't get to talk about was how important in a portfolio of 100 billion dollars our influence can be. It's not just uh, that that we have that size, but because we are a significant investor, we can get our calls returned, we can cast votes, we can exert some influence. And a lot of the time our obligation to our beneficiaries or retirees coincides with things that we aspire to um, as Oregonians, as, as Americans. Uh, it's not just the right thing to do to make sure that companies have boards that are diverse, that have women and people of color and are reflective of the population. Turns out that's also how we make money. So we get to advocate for that. We don't have to say we believe in climate change, though I certainly do. We can say, hey, you're, you're 
prospects for profitability as a company are going to be affected by how you deal with climate change. Is your uh, is your supply chain in areas that are going to be overrun by hurricanes? Uh, are you thinking about these things? So the ability to um, make progress on important issues on an apolitical basis that are just on numbers is, is something that's unique to, to the Treasurer's Office and really powerful, too. Yeah, and I guess just tell me about some of those calls. It gets more even more powerful when, when we're able to um, collaborate with other institutional investors. Um, the California Treasurer is a, is a strong ally on these things. And it's not even just calls, it's also votes. Um, we get to say how we're going to vote on on particular issues. Um, look at the, the Exxon vote last year, where for the first time, because of a long campaign, we're able to require Exxon to take specific action with respect to climate, to, to issue a report, to, to consider various scenarios. Um, those come up on a, on a regular basis, and it's a really powerful thing to be able to say, no, we're going to cast a vote on this. There's there's a couple more interesting ones coming up in the next next few weeks, uh, even next week, in fact, uh, with respect to McKesson, who's a, a, a major player in, in the opioid crisis. Um, not necessarily headline material, but but hopefully we get to send a message on that. And people take us seriously because we're we're a large investor and and we have a reputation for being um, innovative. We were the first state in the country to invest in in private equity, uh, and we have these longstanding relationships. So we're able to try to move them move the needle. Fantastic. Thank you, Tobias. Thank My you pleasure. for your work and thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal podcast, an organization dedicated to supporting innovative policymakers and ideas to solve our most challenging problems. Check out newdealleaders.org slash ideas for innovative policies that you can bring to your city or state. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produced this podcast. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. Mm-hmm.